This morning, I'm going to be uh, reading to you from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, This is a narrative about Jesus and his disciples. It's probably interesting to take note that this narrative um, in Luke's Gospel and also in Matthew's occurs after Jesus um, asked his disciples to get into a boat and cross over from Galilee into another land, the land of the Gerasenes. Uh, some of the Gospels record some, some waves and storms and other things that happened while they were on the water, okay? So, so perhaps they're arriving and some of the disciples are a bit uh, wet or moist or flustered or frightened or just glad to get on dry land, right? Um, but this is the, the recording of what, hap- what happened once they got over uh, to the other side. A lot of great sermons uh, have been preached about the the being on the water part okay but we don't we don't really hear too much about well what happened when they got to the other side so here's what happened if you can put yourself in the place of the disciples you might be a little moist or flustered or just dry ground Luke chapter 8 the 26th verse when they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes which is opposite Galilee As Jesus stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but he lived among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before Jesus and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man. You see, many times it had seized him, and he had been kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds, and he would be driven out by the demons into the wild. Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged, the demons begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there were on the hillside a large herd of swine feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter instead into the swine. So he gave them permission, and the demons came out of the man, and they entered the swine, and the herd rushed down a steep bank into a lake and were drowned. Well, when the swine herders saw what had happened, they ran off and told the city and the county and then and the country, and then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to see Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were frightened. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by the demons had been healed, and all of the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them. For they were seized with great fear, so Jesus got into the boat and he returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home. And declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Now, I don't know this for sure, but I suspect this demon-possessed man was a Methodist. Because Jesus told him to go and proclaim what God had done for him, and he went and said how much Jesus had done for him. You see, he had an insight that was a little better than what the preacher had said. So, so instead of saying, this is what God has done for me, he went and said, guess what Jesus did for me? Throughout the countryside, not, not just obeying instructions, but embellishing or improving, or our word is perfecting. Last week we talked about the Trinity and the, the mystery of who Jesus is, and is Jesus divine, is he human, what's that all about? Well, this demoniac, this good Methodist, he heard the sermon, Jesus said, now go tell what God has done, and he went and told what Jesus had done. He put two and two together and said, Jesus is God. You see? Perfecting what he had been told in his own mind and experience and pro proclaiming that to others. Um, every year I go to the Virginia Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church and I hear a lot of Methodists try and perfect each other's mes message. You see, we spend a lot of time getting up and saying, oh, this is what we need to do, and everybody goes, that's really great, but I would amend that motion and just make it a little more perfect. Because that's what we do. It's beautiful. And I go every year to annual conference longing to experience some of the frustration of perfecting one another's ministry. Um, I have to tell you that I also look forward to going and reuniting with old friends and catching up with people that I haven't seen. I love to have uh, to hear the great sermons and the wonderful singing of 6,000 Methodists, oh, 4,000 tongues. It's really robust. Um, and I'm inspired by the liturgy and the ordination that I get to see um, at annual conference. It's an opportunity to see the, the connectional church with my own eyes. Uh, you hear a lot about connectional churches and our tradition in Methodism is how every church is connected and we're all kind of one uh, body but with different churches. But it's hard to, it, to get that in your head. But when you see it, when you see all these Methodists, like in Albemarle County, you can't throw a rock without hitting a Methodist church. I mean, they're everywhere. And every one of those churches sends somebody to the annual conference and you get to see them all together in one place. I have to confess that this year at annual conference I went with some mixed feelings because our conference has been perfecting each other uh, on the issue of human sexuality for over 40 years and our annual conference made a declarative statement and I was kind of anxious about well how is that going to be perfected and I, I don't enjoy a lot of the talk of schism or people taking sides or making lists or identifying one another or willing to marginalize or scapegoat or say, well, you're with us and you're not, making immigrants of one another. So I wasn't looking forward to that, and I'm happy to tell you that... Uh, I didn't hear as much of that, that as I have over the 40 years that the church struggles with perfecting our message. It was a very subdued annual conference. People were, were, um, were polite to each other and um, 
And you're going to hear a report from your lay members who went to annual conference later, so I don't want to steal their thunder. But I, I came out of annual conference, or went into annual conference a little anxious about what I might experience, and I came out of annual conference uh, a, much more at peace about this work of ours being in ministry. Um, one of the best things that happened at annual conference was a friend of mine, R.J., um, who's the pastor. Go back to that one with the screens of the annual conference. RJ is a friend of mine who's in the Roanoke district. That's him. You can see him on the right on the screen. And on the left, he has these Korean numbers. RJ is from Korea. And he got up in the pulpit and he said, my name is RJ and I'm a pastor at Raleigh Court United Methodist Church in Grandin, which is in Roanoke, Virginia. And I am not from around here. I am an immigrant. You can see by looking at me that I am an immigrant. And what you need to know is that all across Virginia Conference, especially, our bishop was from Korea recently, and we have a lot of ministers in this conference from Korea. And they are sent to churches. And one of the, one of the negotiations that happens when you get a pastor from Korea is many of them have very strong accents. And the congregations complain because they can't understand their pastor. And then the pastors have to go to diction school and, the, and they print out their sermons and they hand them. I mean, go all kind of things so that this pastor, this newcomer, this immigrant might be welcomed and received into a congregation. But what you need to know about RJ, he got up there and he said, I am an immigrant in perfect English. He's from California. He lived the first 18 years of his life in California, though he was born in Korea. He then said um, that I went back to Korea for 19 years. And I came back to America after a calling on my life. Because when he went back to Korea, he found out he didn't belong there. Born in Korea, lived in America, back to Korea, and he said, I'm an immigrant. In America, I'm an immigrant in Korea. And I came to the place in my life where I realized I didn't go anywhere except to Jesus, to the church of Jesus Christ. And I responded to a calling on my life, and I became a United Methodist minister. And then he challenged the rest of us ministers. And he said, you know what? I don't care where you're from. You're an immigrant too. You're an immigrant too. We have a whole system based on this idea that congregations, the indigenous people, welcome an immigrant into their midst with the presumption that something, some form of perfecting is going to happen both on the pastor and on the congregation, that we are in a relationship with each other because the expectation is that there's perfecting to be done. We are not ever where we're supposed to be. We are always supposed to be moving forward and going to a new place. When Jesus arrived on the shores of the Gerasenes, the first person he met was someone who'd been cast out. The community had had enough of this dysfunctional, demon-possessed person who would not go through detox. Everywhere he went, 
everybody he knew. He messed up their lives and he offended people and he hurt people. And there were probably lots of stories all over the place about how he was a mess and they needed to distance themselves from him so they cast him out. And the first person Jesus met in this new land was not the mayor. It was not the town council or the administrative board or the SPRC committee. It was a demon-possessed person. And somehow he knew that Jesus was a healer and Jesus had power and Jesus could make a change in his life. And the demon said, "We please, Jesus, don't cast us out. And of course, as soon as you say, please don't do this, it's the first thing they do. <laughs> and Jesus says, see the swine? And all the demons are in the, went to the swine. The swine said, we don't want demons in us. And they dove into the There's a whole other sermon about why they do that. But my message for for you, as I was listening to RJ and thinking about this sermon, is this idea that Jesus intentionally took his disciples to a place where they were immigrants. They were not from there. They get off the boat, and the first person they meet is a person who'd been cast out from the people who were there. I have um, lots of friends who are counselors, work in social work, and they go into dysfunctional families uh, all the time, dysfunctional homes. And they've told me that there are things you can see and observe right away at the condition of a house that will tell you that there's dysfunction in the house. And just little things like unrepaired holes where doors have been slammed open or closed. Little things that you'd think would be fixed that aren't, right? It is a part of the condition of human beings that we get used to and in some cases embrace our dysfunction. We love our demons because we know them. And if they become too troublesome for us, we will cast them out. But they're still around. Jesus met this demonic man, first one he met, the demons were cast out. The swine herders went and told the people, oh my God, this thing has happened and the, the herd is now gone. People said, what? You have, you've bro- you know, you, you've broken up our economy. And they came out to see what had happened and they were upset because not only had Jesus destroyed their swine herd and messed up their economy and this was going to cost them money, But now what are they going to do with this guy who they all had stories about, how he had hurt them or mistreated them or broke up their families or made their work hard or wasn't cooperative? Who knows what demon-possessed people. They do lots of things that are very irritating. But they're ours. And it said they were very frightened at the idea that Jesus had healed this man. That these demons, these dysfunctions that they had, and they thought were his, were all of a sudden gone. And what my friends in social work tell me, and, and, and therapists also tell me, that if you have a family, I know none of you have anybody dysfunctional in your family, but if you did, oftentimes if that person gets help and kind, kind of goes into recovery or detox, okay, and the family all of a sudden doesn't have this normal dysfunction in it someone else will begin acting out because we're used to it we don't know how to function without our demons and here comes Jesus and says well let's see what happens and he cast out the demons and they were faced with their own 
looking at themselves and, and it frightened them. And what R.J. made me think about is how as United Methodists and our tradition of being indigenous congregations and immigrant pastors, we have set ourselves up to meet Jesus in each other. This idea that we perfect one another if you're a person and you show up at a new job and uh, you have new eyes. You're, you're walking around the halls and you see how the office works and you say, well, well, why isn't the recycling bag on this side of the copier instead of that side of the copier because all the things should go, right? Well, it's been that way. Why didn't anybody else see it? Because you had new eyes. You were coming with the new eyes. And it, you know, which side the recycling bin goes on doesn't really matter but it's that refreshing idea that Jesus came from across the sea from Galilee with his disciples who all belonged they were they were all born there and they came to this place where they were immigrants then they met a cast out person who himself was an immigrant and it was him who was healed and made whole and the indigenous people who said well we are not sure we like that and Jesus left and so I came away think, listening to these wor RJ's words about his conversion and his call into the ministry that came when he realized he was an immigrant everywhere. And that the only thing that helped him to know who he was, it wasn't where he was born. It wasn't where he was lived. It was the Lamb of God. It was Jesus who said, you belong to me. No matter where you are born, R.J. said, I was born again. And from that time on, I belong to Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for the immigrants among us that I believe call us into this perfecting work. Amen.